2: You're listening to the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show with Sal Capaccio and Joe DiBiase. Brought to you by Northtown Automotive. Whatever you're looking for, you'll find it at Northtown. Shop online at northtownauto.com.
1: Hi.
3: Oh man, just a, an amazing call from Al Michaels, right? I mean, Al freaking Michaels, Joe, in 1980, mm-hmm. doing hockey in the Miracle on Ice game against the Soviets.
0: I get ex- especially uh, I get chills when he says 11 seconds in particular, because when he says <sighs> 11 seconds, you can hear it in his voice that like it's the first time where it feels like okay, it's going to happen. For some some some, mm-hmm. some reason, the way he says 11 seconds always gets me. When I think for me it's right after that when he says
3: 5 seconds left in the game and then he goes right into do you believe in miracles but he he has done interviews over the years where he said he didn't line that up like that just came out isn't that what the greatest play-by-play announcers do it just it comes out like that like he said he didn't know he was going to say that he just said it in the moment which is incredible actually and it's it is arguably Joe it is arguably the most known hockey play-by-play phrase ever or sports sports play-by-play like phrase wording that people know yeah right you know what i mean like that's do you believe in miracles that transcends everyone knows what that is it's the uh, i would think if you know sports in some way is there any others i was gonna say is it the all-time sports call i think for that reason i think it is for that reason like the mm-hmm. all-time sports call that like because everybody knows it yeah, I mean, there's been because I think about, I think about J- Jack Buck, 1987, Kirby Puckett hits a home run and he says, and it, it's game six to bring it to game seven, and he says, "We'll see you again," and he pauses tomorrow night. I'm like, wow, that's crazy, right? So yeah, I, I think um, there's there's a lot in there. I think that you know you could kind of dissect, but I want to dissect the other thing today, the other anniversary. We want to talk all about it. Eight three oh five fifty is the number to call today if you want to jump on. If you want to jump on the extra point show here, Sal Capaccio, Sneaky Joe DiBiase is the Northtown Automotive extra point show, and of course, whatever you're looking for, shop online at NorthtownAuto.com. Joe, you have the Saber Senators brawl in front of you, right? You have yes, that. I do. You've Been watching it. You've seen it this morning, right?
0: So I had it in a tab open it all it morning.
3: <laughs> I know. Where do you start? Like you have it. Do you start it when the. Do you go back and watch Drewry get hit?
0: If I had, yes, yeah. If I if I'm watching it in full, I want I want the hit. I want Stafford after. Yeah, I want all that. You want to have the lead
3: up to it, right? So, I think that's right. So, what do we have here? Okay, let's. So let's kind of walk through this and what happened. Now, let me ask you, what what do you remember? Where were you that night when it happened? You were a little younger. We all were younger. But, um, you know, what was your situation in consuming that situation?
0: I would have been watching that game at home with my definitely with my dad, my brother, and I believe we would have had friends there, too, because uh, there's there's multiple of us, there's a lot of us jumping up and down in the room as that as that is ongoing so, I'm I'm at home though watching that. I'm not like at the game or anything.
3: Yeah, I I was I was still living in Florida, but I remember watching it. I'd watch all the Sabers games from down there. I couldn't wait the next day like I was teaching and I couldn't wait the next day to go into school to tell other teachers I knew to turn on like we would we'd have you know ESPN on in the morning or whatever. And it was like Leading ESPN, if I remember, the next morning they were talking about it and showing the highlights. I couldn't wait to go to like fellow football coaches and teachers and go, "Oh, dude, you got to watch this. Watch what happened last night in Buffalo." Right? It's kind of crazy. Um, Let's go through this a little bit and kind of how it how it went down. So Drury gets hit by Neil. Right? Neil's the one that comes across and hits Drury. And I think we'd all agree it was a pretty pretty vicious illegal hit. Correct? Yep.
0: I I think so. It was high. And more so, I think when you w- watch the Sabers bench, they're they're hitting their elbow. But when I watch the hit, I think the bigger crime is it was late. It was so after Drury released the puck. So yeah, I say dirty hit. Yeah, Drury is coming into the
3: zone, and it's clear that like like Neil sees him kind of yeah he lines him up like he if you really watch it like if you follow Neil past the blue line. Yeah. To me, that's what made it even more egregious to me, Joe, was he knew where, where he wanted to go. Like to your point of being late, it's almost like he targeted him. And I think that's what the Sabres were upset about, right? He targeted him. It wasn't just a a random hit. He went after him. Look where he is when he kind of makes a right hand turn, right? You watch Neil. Mm -hmm. Neil is at the top of the faceoff circle. He takes a right hand turn to go and hit Drury after he, Drury releases the puck.
0: Yep. And I know at the time that wasn't against the rule where you could, you, if you hit, The head, but you did it with the shoulder and they don't think you were targeting the head, then you could get away with that. But like today's game, that is going to be probably a five minute major because you, the main point of contact was the head, right? Like even if you didn't get your elbow up and maybe you weren't targeting it, whatever, you hit the head, you hit the head. That's, that's, you know, a problem. And he totally hits Drury in the head, even if the rule was a little bit different then.
3: All right. So who's on the ice after the hit? Is that Stafford? I see a twenty-one. Right, Stafford, Stafford.
0: is on the ice. It really okay. actually that this is funny. Like who on the ice could have or would have been better to step in? Um, Ludman's know, on there. Yeah, like I know Michael Ryan is out there. You don't want that. Actually, if you see Michael Ryan and Ludman, they are both kind of being held back by other Senators mm-hmm. because when they realize hey, the rookie is the one that's fighting Chris Neal right now. I think they realize they should get in and help, but by then, they're being grabbed. It's too late. But,
3: yeah. Okay, so at that point, and that's the Chris Neal line. So back then, I mean, that line, of course you have your third line, fourth line, guys like that. It was way different back then, which is a part of what I want to get into today later. But So Neal's on the ice. That's the, I guess, the checking line, right? You want to call it that, the checking line? Uh, Oh, That's his line that's out there, no?
0: Spezza's out there. Okay, that's maybe, right. Maybe they're in the middle of a line change because I don't think you normally saw Spetz. Or am I Neal. just
3: thinking of Neil as a guy that maybe would have been on that line, but he normally wasn't no, actually.
0: No, he would have been on like a third or a fourth line. I think maybe, Okay, right, is out there, but they could have just been like end of a shift
3: type of thing. Okay, so now the Sabres get, now they go to break. They, they tend to Drury, they take them off. It's a home game for the Sabres. They get their last, you know, who you want to put on the ice. Mm-hmm. I've always felt, Okay, and I guess this has to be true, right? That Brian Murray, the coach of the centers at the time, had to know what was coming, and yet he still chose to put his top line out there, I guess, to either challenge Lindy Ruff to actually do it or to protect his guys because he thought Lindy wouldn't
0: do it. Would that make sense? I think what he probably did was he thought he was neutralizing the situation by he puts oh. his skilled guys out there. Oh, nothing's going to happen here. He's not going to... My guys aren't going to get involved in anything, so there's not going to be two willing combatants, so nothing's going to happen here. I, I think that's what he was probably thinking. Or maybe he just naively thought that it wasn't mm. as bad as it was and it would just not... nothing would happen. I, I don't know what okay. he... I okay. I,
3: I think otherwise. I think Brian Murray, who had been a coach for a, a long time in the league, Lindy actually worked for him in Florida before this all happened, I think Brian Murray does it to basically kind of challenge Lindy and make Lindy look bad if he goes after these guys. Saying, you're not going to do it. If you do, you're the bad guy here, not me.
0: Maybe. I I don't know that he would have. How often was that happening? Like, full-fledged brawls, going after star players. Like, that's something. Like, if you go, I, I, I'm young for that, so I'm not going to know perfectly. But, I don't know, whenever I go on YouTube and, like, back in the day wanted to watch, like, hockey brawls. They're all mm-hmm. in the late 90s. They're all in the well. They're in the 80s, too, of course. You had the bench clears and before that. But you've got a ton in the 90s, and I don't see much of that happening. I don't remember a lot of stuff on that level when I'm growing up as a kid. So maybe Murray thought that that type of thing just wouldn't happen because it was 2007, and in 2007 you didn't see that that often.
3: It's really interesting. One of the topics I wanted to ask you today, and I'll just ask it now since you are going there. Would this happen
0: today, the way it went down?
3: What would it look like today?
0: It would... That's a good question. Well, you probably wouldn't have... I mean, you wouldn't have a full line of guys that you would feel like can drop the gloves, I'm guessing. Um. So I don't know. You might have one guy whose job it is to go out there and kind of go after someone and respond to it. I, I don't feel like it would look the same, though. I, I think it would... I don't know. It, you might have you a Peters. Know, you mightn't have, have one the roster there. to
3: have it the same, right? You, yeah, the rosters are constructed differently. You didn't have. I mean, Andrew Peters is a friend of mine. I don't know if he has a spot in today's NHL, right? Let's be honest. He has a spot in twenty to, in two thousand seven,
0: right? Well, there's right. There's not guys like that in the league today. Like, well, let's play. Right. Use the Sabers for this. The Sabers are not, you know, the biggest team. They're they're actually, by the way, not the smallest team. They're kind of average, but they're the youngest team. So. You might not think they have the personnel for something like this. By the way, I don't really think any team in the league really does. All right, the same exact situation happens. Say the Sabres are good, so they actually would be even more willing to defend You know, their captain. And their captain gets blindsided like that. They're putting Jordan Greenway on the ice, and I might trust uh-huh. Jordan Greenway would do something. And I don't really know Ooh, if I have two okay. more names for you. Okay, okay. What, do you, when's the last time something like this happened? Now, maybe there's
3: been a time since. The last time I could think of anything like this is Miller getting run by Lucic, and it had
0: to be Paul Gostad who had to come over the boards the next game. Well, he was, remember, part of that Part of that was that Gostad was on the ice when Lucic uh, hit Miller and didn't do anything, and then that was part of the controversy. Um, mm-hmm. But no, right, there there wasn't guys out there. I, on a much, like, you know what this look, looks like more so uh, today is... Remember the Heritage Classic when Austin Matthews got suspended because he tried to decapitate yeah. Rasmus Dahlin with a crossjack? Yep. You didn't get a fight right after, which you got where you didn't have you know, dropping the gloves and you just go after him immediately. What you had was Dylan Cousins picking his spot and waiting for the right moment and then clobbering Austin Matthews across the middle. That's, what, that's usually what you get now, I think. I
3: actually went back this morning and looked like what I, I just typed in like NHL brawl and there's not much over the last few years. There was this one between Ottawa and Florida last year. It wasn't even anything. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, they, there was a brawl. Like there was a late hit on a goalie or something. And they kind of, there was a couple guys who went at it. There was a bunch of penalties. It was nothing like this, right? This is, this was different. I, I, yeah, I think that the way rosters are constructed and how things go down now, much, much differently, how this would have happened. All right. So, Murray puts his top line out, and we played it earlier. Let's go. Josh, I want you to, if you can, play when we realize what Lindy Ruff did and how he responded, because that's where – and I want you to cut it off there, because you hear the crowd react. Go ahead. But in any event, Neil and Stafford each end up with five-minute penalties – and that was Sabres sending out. Now we got pushing and shoving going before the puck has ever dropped between Heatley and Coletta. Okay, that was it. Sorry, it was a little before that I wanted, which is fine. The guys he sent over the boards. Peters, Coletta, and Mare, right, Joe? Yeah. Right? Who else is on the ice here?
0: You've got Ludman and Talinder on the blue line. You do hear the crowd, though, start to yes. get a rise. And I think that is, I think you can hear there when they realize, oh, man, Peters is out there. Uh huh. Here comes Coletta, and then pretty quickly on. I mean, Coletta's not. Coletta, by the way, is not on the ice for two seconds before Heatley like gives him a little push because I'm sure he ran him earlier in the game, probably.
3: Yeah. So right before they face off, you hear RJ say it. There's a little pushing and shoving between Coletta and Heatley, and they kind of back off on each other. Then they line back up, and what happens right away? This is when all heck breaks loose because they go back to it right away. And now it's basically full-on, let's go after these guys. There was no intent by Sabres players whatsoever to track the puck once it was basically dropped. And there was by Senators players, which is, again, to me, I go back to how did they not think anything was going to happen here? And even when Brian Murray saw what the Sabres were doing... Like, maybe, I don't know, take a timeout, get those guys off the ice. That's why I feel like Brian Murray was almost challenging Lindy to say, you won't do that, and you'll be the bad guy. Because he still left his guys out. There's nothing he can do in in the moment except call a timeout. Mm
0: -hmm. But
3: they had no intention, no intention of going after the puck once it was
0: dropped. No. No, like, Heatley's playing the puck. Like, he actually points to the ref for a penalty after Peters, like, grabs him. Like, he he thinks nothing of it. And that, to me, is more of an indication that even back then, I know that was 17 years ago, stuff like that was not happening. And that would have caught everyone by surprise. It would have caught me by surprise. I never saw... The reason it's so special for me It's because it's the only one like that in my life. I don't remember Barnaby and Ray and, and Brad May going after the Flyers in, like, the 97 playoffs. Like, I don't rem, I I know those videos, but I don't remember that. I think Murray truly didn't think it was going to happen because it never happened.
3: Probably right. So they start pushing and shoving. These guys go after him. Now, what the TV broadcast doesn't show is the initial fight. Now, maybe there's another angle. Maybe there's another thing. But right mm-hmm. away, I mean, Mayer is just cross-checking. Just cross-checking. I think Spezza, right? He's cross-checking Spezza yep. as soon as the puck is dropped. And then that's when you hear r j say what he said was you know going after him, and that's when the t v camera shows Peters seeing what's happening and then rushing over there, right I mean, so Peters gets involved, but the first thing that happens actually is Adam mayor going after spezza after the face off.
0: you don't see it on the main feed in fact, if you like the video I have is like the seven minute whatever uh one on YouTube, and at the end of it, after everything is done, there is a replay angle. Of Mare going after Spetza and it sticks with Mayer. And he almost undoubtedly I think lands the cleanest punches, maybe the cleanest wow. four punches of that fight because he is he's he's getting Spetza. Like he's doing exactly what he set out to do. And I've heard Peter say this on even the Sabres did a beyond blue and gold a couple years yes, ago on this. A, I like Jeremy was in there. Yeah. He has said his biggest regret was not staying with Heatley because he had Heatley and all of the linesmen and refs went over to where Mayer, who had started a dog pile on top of Spezza and Peters has, I've I've heard him say like he could have just had Heatley like to all to himself. And then of course you had
3: then right away, Marty goes out to challenge it. I don't know who, like do we know, do we ever have an angle of was it Marty who just, you know, kind of, left his crease to go towards Emory or was it Emery who did something to do they uh, they both
0: met at center ice, but do we know? I don't know. I've never I've I've seen the Ottawa feed of it and replays there and replays on the MSG feed. I've never seen I've never seen personally an angle of that shows the two goalies before they're like already taking off their equipment.
3: And then they start, obviously, going at it. And that's a that's a tough one for Marty, and he knows that. He's said it. Emery was literally a fighter. like He had boxing training. And the late Ray Emery, by the way, who has since passed away. But uh, Emery, he's getting the better of Marty, but he also lets him off the hook. Marty's down on the ice. Emery could have started pounding him. He didn't. And then I just showed this this morning to Max, actually. And I said, now watch what happens. Because now you see something you never see happen. And that is Andrew Peters going after Ray Emery. Mm-hmm. A, a skater... Actually, just going after a goalie while the two goalies were, you know, fighting off their own. Mm-hmm. You never see that happen. There was a uh, clip back in the day people remember Matt Barnaby got kind of hit by, and we all know in Buffalo, Billy Smith hit Lindy Ruff. Lindy goes after Billy Smith, the Islanders back in the 80s. Same thing. Uh, Barnaby goes after the Philly goalie, but usually that's because they did something to him. This was. Peters just said, "I'm going after Ray Emery." You never see that.
0: Yeah the the Barnaby one. You might be thinking of a different one. Oh, there's two because you're thinking of what he he like starts pummeling Garth Snow. Um, yes, there, I believe that's the one. Yes, there's another one in the late '90s against Vancouver where Hasek got run, and Barnaby while the puck like he dumps it into the corner, and while everyone is going after the puck in the corner, he just goes and checks Sean Burke. In the goal, and then starts like a brawl there. So that happened, you know, a couple times I think with him. The Ottawa feed—I don't even know if it's the Ottawa feed. It's the Sportsnet feed that that's also available on YouTube. And -hmm. if you watch that one, you get the again like the maybe the Senators broadcasters. And when Peters grabs Emery, they go, "Oh no, this is not right! Someone from the Senators needs to help out their goaltender." And they say it again. which is a take, by the way, that you don't often think of because we always think of it from the Buffalo end of things. But if I'm a Senators fan watching that, I'm going, how in the world is no one on my team stepping in to defend the goalie who is fighting their toughest guy?
3: Yeah. And, and, and the Sabres broadcast, RJ says, this is really going to get ugly now. And I, actually, I, I think that's absolutely just for the simple fact that you have a skater going after a goalie, right? Because RJ, yeah. he's been doing this a long time. He's never seen that, right? He's never seen these guys. And then uh, during, a, during an all-out, everybody's kind of tangling and mm-hmm. grappling and the two goalies. He's never seen that. It's kind of an unwritten code, right? The skater doesn't go after the goalie. So RJ says, this is really going to get ugly now. And I think that's directly reflected, and he's saying that because Peters is going after Emery.
0: Right. He might have, right in his voice even, or known, thought there that, like, oh, here comes another phase of the brawl because what are the Senators going to do? What would you you expect? You grab their goaltender. I mean, you breathe on a goaltender, even now, but back then especially, you breathe on a goalie, and you're expecting to get hit, right? And there, you're literally throwing bombs at him, and nobody's reacting. I mean, some of that, too, though, is maybe that's where Murray you know, would regret who he put out there because he's got Spezza, Heatley, and Comrie out there on the ice. Like, you don't have oh, yeah. guys out there Comrie. that are ready to step in and defend the goalie. The only guy that might have done it was Chris Phillips, but I think he was still tied up with Coletta by that point. All right, so then... To finish it,
3: you got the two coaches yelling at each other. And this is a guy who worked for Brian Murray. Lindy Ruff had worked for Brian Murray. He was an assistant with him in Florida uh, in the 90s before he got the Sabres job. And he's going at it. And of course, you hear the the F bombs get dropped. And we've, you know, beeped those out when we've played it. I, my one regret every time I watch it is Lindy tripping and not being able to stay on the bench. I wish he was standing up on the bench, but he fell and he couldn't. So he came from a, a, you know, a down position looking up while Murray's looking down at him. I always wish Lindy would have stayed on the bench and it would have been
0: them both both pointing over the glass to each other. Yep. I think he got injured too doing that. Like oh, cut really? cut himself or something. I feel like I remember that being told somewhere. Um yeah. The the that yelling match back and forth really to you hear the crowd get a rise right. like that was it was pretty pretty great. That's that's Lindy, right? That's just Lindy being the best. So well, those aside from the game itself,
3: that game, what I think might get lost here, and I don't, I think you might know this, they played two nights later. These two teams. Yep. They played two nights later, and what the centers did, they brought some fighter up. Who was it? I don't even know. Brian I like, McGrath. Don't remember the guy, Brian McGrath. Thank you, Brian McGrath. They, he he, he actually does get a fight in the next game. Yeah, yeah,
0: he was on the team, but he was healthy scratched the brawl night. Okay, that's yeah. right. So they they
3: activate him. Yep. And you're all—we're all wondering what is going to happen. Like, and there was—I think there was a dust up, maybe in pregame. Nothing really happened of it. But sure enough, if you look at the box score from February 24th, two days later, two nights later, there's a penalty to Pominville at 5:59 of the first period, but nothing. And then Neil gets a slashing. Neil has a roughing. Phillips has, a, and then there's a hooking, hooking. But then, but nothing happens. And then you go to the second period. Fighting with Peters, fighting with McGratton, unsportsmanlike conduct mm-hmm. with Camry, unsportsmanlike conduct with Derek Roy, fighting with Adam Mayer, roughing with Neal, fighting with Neal. So they went at it. It took to the second period, but two days later they went at it again. And that was, do you remember the build-up to that second game? I remember it. It was off the charts. Like, oh my God, what is going to happen with these two teams? Yeah. The next time they play.
0: Yep. I did not know, uh, which Jeremy told this morning that the Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser were were saying that the NHL should postpone the game because oh there God. was going to be too much blood or whatever like that the game shouldn't happen that quickly after the fact. I did not know that. Um did one, you also know, Joe? Yeah. The second night
3: was Marty Biron's last game in a Sabres uniform.
0: I did know that. Yes, I saw that earlier. He I was saw, traded. Yeah,
3: yeah. He was traded. So, I've always thought like and again, we, we could talk to Marty. He'll be on uh, at noon on Sabres Live. I want to ask Marty something. I never asked him. Like, we all kind of knew Marty was getting traded that year at the trade deadline. That was kind of known. It was said his contract's expir- <laughs> expiring. Like, he wasn't going to come back. Like, they could get something for him. Was being in that brawl part of, hey, man, I love this team. I love this logo. I'm going out. I'm going to do whatever I can here, knowing this might be it for him anyway. And he's just going to he's gonna go after Ray Emery. You know what I mean? Not yeah. just the fight itself. But knowing all the circumstances surrounding his individual situation.
0: Yep. They were uh they were showcasing him, I think, a little bit probably at that uh at that time. They knew a trade was coming. The um he drops Emory too. That was I wonder uh if he I've I haven't heard him on this and we'll I'm sure hear him plenty on this over the next couple of days. If he thought that was risky at all, because the fight was kinda over and then you know, there's no one around him. Emery could have just got right back up and started swinging again. <laughs> right. Yeah. He yeah, I thought Emery could have really
3: pounded him when he was on him. And then when he started to get up, Emery um Marty kind of tripped him up a little. That though. That's bit.
0: part of the code too. Like once you're down on the ice, like you, yeah.
3: you can't keep that's feeding right. the guy right.
0: So like Emery would have known that's that. That's exactly yeah.
3: right. Um so anyway, they did play the next night. The Sabres did win that game uh that we're talking about the first game. What happened here? How did they win? They won Was a shootout? Was it overtime? They won in a shootout. The
0: first game. Yeah, I won a shootout. By the way, I only know this game so uh, detailed because I had it on VHS forever, uh, recorded and would watch it back like every off season at least. They won. Stafford scored a great shootout goal, and then Miller made an incredible glove save on Mike Fisher, and they won the game like maybe six to five, seven to six in a shootout. 6-5. Uh, uh, yeah, let's see. 6-5. 7-6 um, is game one in o, in o- six.
3: So Right. 6-5, I think. Um, I'm not sure. What is this? Shootout? Looks like they won. No, they scored. What's the Sabres Saber scored 1-2-3-4. Yeah, you're right. They Definitely did go to a shootout. Out. I'm Definitely sorry. Shootout, yeah. I don't have the, uh, the right box score up here. But they lost the next game, right? They go to Ottawa that, two nights later, and I think Ottawa yep. beats them in that game.
0: Yes. That one was 6-5-2. I'm looking right now. you had a lot of goals. Two between the two.
3: All right, so... We have one down. We got one more to go here. I want to talk about Miracle on Ice because I was seven. And you know what? Joe, did you know the game wasn't even live in the United States at the time? Mm -hmm. Like it was on tape delay. People kind of knew. So I don't remember it. I was seven years old. You weren't around then. Maybe people do. Uh, got a message from somebody who wanted to share their story about watching Miracle on Ice. So we'll do that when we come back and want your stories as well. We got Paul Hamilton coming up just before the top of the hour. Josh Reed from Channel 4 WIVB is going to join us at 11.05. We're going to talk Bills, Combine next week, some Gabe Davis stuff that was very weird for me yesterday on social media. I'll get into that as well. Sal Capaccio, Sneaky Jody Biassi. It is the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show. Give us a call. Your memories. Sabres Brawl, Miracle on Ice. RJ. Man, we miss him so much. Love you, RJ. Amazing. You just, you, you, you go back and, it really is, Joe, a lot of the a lot of the greatest calls from RJ are the fights, right? We know LaFontaine's calls and Mayday, but man, I find myself sometimes just YouTubing Sabres fights with RJ on the call.
0: It's amazing. Oh yeah, me too. For sure. It's how I know, like, I, I'm aware that there's just a random Vancouver brawl at the end of the 90s, just because <laughs> I've definitely done the searching for those. Yeah.
3: Well, today is the anniversary of the Sabre-Senators brawl, 2007. Believe it or not, it's been already 17 years since then. It's been 44 years. Today is also the anniversary of the famed Miracle on Ice hockey game, the United States against the Soviet Union. A bunch of young kids... My favorite Sabre player ever, Mike Ramsey, on that team, a defenseman for the Miracle on Ice team, came to the Sabres right after that. There was so much more surrounding it and all the geopolitical stuff that was involved back in the 70s and the 80s. Do yourself a favor. Go read about it. Just kind of, you know, read up on the history of everything that's surrounded. It's not just about the game and those kids not having a chance against the famed Russians, the Soviet Union. It really is all that was encompassing there, but it was, it was just an amazing time period. I was seven years old. Joe wasn't around yet. Mm-hmm. I, t- I tweeted a video earlier today to say, hey, give me a comment on what you remember about both the brawl or Miracle on Ice, give us a call. And answering that signal was our guy down in Florida, Buccaneer sideline reporter T.J. Reeves, who says, I got a story for you guys. My man, what is going on? Thanks for uh, yes, and calling and sharing.
2: It's great to be with you, and you did a tremendous job of socially teasing and calling to action for people to come forward, and I am testifying on the mighty WGR that I'm answering the call. And you know, more times than not, I deliver the goods, Sal. Sneaky well, you go. better you hear know I now. deliver the goods. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to disappoint go. with this story. So you ready? Okay. Yeah. I am 10-year-old TJ living in Chattanooga, Tennessee. For those not geographically familiar, that's about 90 minutes north of Atlanta, Georgia, in the eastern part of Tennessee, right by the North Carolina border. So I am elementary school TJ. And my father instilled in me he was a huge basketball fan. So the Atlanta Hawks are not far. They're 90 minutes away to the south so we had intended to go down to Atlanta and did to watch the Atlanta Hawks play Friday night February the 22nd 1980 basketball game with the Phoenix Suns so i am in the Omni Arena in downtown Atlanta as a 10 year old tj and i was aware that the us was playing the russians last night but the uh, that night but the wild thing is i also knew because they had been talking about it that it was not going to be on live. Mm -hmm. They were playing at 5 p.m. in the afternoon, and the game was going to be shown tape delay on ABC. Again, this is hard to fathom. No internet, cables brand new, and so the game is not going to be on live. So we're in the arena for Hawks-Phoenix Suns, and these names aren't going to mean anything, Uh, really in the present day, but they were a bigger deal. I mean, the Hawks had Tree Rollins, John Drew. They were not a championship team. The Phoenix Suns had Paul Westfall. Larry Byrne and Magic Johnson had both just come to the NBA. That's their rookie season. This is February of 1980. So we're in the arena, and the announcer comes on the PA, and the hair on the back of my neck is standing up right now, 44 years later. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, we have an update from Lake Placid, New York. In the Winter Olympics hockey game, the United States leads the Soviet Union three to two, and the place erupts. Some of it was, you know, shouting, clapping, et cetera. So the game is going on it's like the like the beginning of the game because keep in mind the hockey game started at five o'clock, and so this is probably middle of the first quarter. The hockey game is ending. And the Mm -hmm. United States has won the game, which we don't know. There's no Internet. There's no cell phones. You don't have a way to know this sitting in the arena until the PA announcer comes on during a dead ball stoppage. Like the ball goes out of bounds. And he comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, we have an update with a final score from Lake Placid, New York, in the Winter Olympics, the United States for the Soviet Union, three. I'm not exaggerating. The entire arena, there's probably 8,000, 10,000 people there, not a sellout night. The entire arena erupts, stands up, and starts a 60-second standing ovation in the Omni in Atlanta. The fans are clapping all around. The players and the officials, I vividly remember this, are clapping, standing on the floor. The game is stopped for everybody to cheer in the Omni in Atlanta, the announcement of the score. And so I, I obviously, forty-four years later, have never forgotten that. I don't think I will ever forget where I was in that moment. And the craziest thing is, you didn't have a way to see this. We were we were there in the arena. The game the game is going on while ABC is showing the replay. We didn't own a VCR, guys. There's no way. There's no way to tape right. it. The only thing we knew is they had won, and you saw like a highlight on the late local news. ESPN is brand new, by the way. ESPN had only come in in September of 1979, about six months earlier. So you cut on ESPN, and they maybe showed you a highlight or two, but to be able to see the entire game, it didn't exist if you weren't there watching it live on ABC or had a way to to tape it on video. That's amazing.
3: Because, Joe, Joe, if this happens today, you know what everybody's doing? You're pulling out your phones and watching the end of it.
2: Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right, but none of that existed, so how did I do on my quick two-minute story great. on where I was because, good Lord, that's amazing.
3: No, you did great, Listen, and it's awesome, and there had to be a USA chant that broke out, right? USA, yeah. USA. They had to do that, too, there, I'm sure.
2: Yes, they're going USA, USA clapping, and again, you're talking about Paul Westphal of the Phoenix Suns was yeah. an all-star At that time, they're all standing on the court clapping in the middle of the first quarter of the NBA game. The referees are clapping. The entire arena, the game stopped for 60 seconds. So I thought I would just share that on a where were you then from 44 years ago tonight. Love it, buddy. Love it. Thanks a lot. Awesome. We'll
3: catch you up down the road, talk uh, NFL offseason. Thank you for the Whenever story. Whenever you
2: need me, do it. But I had, <laughs> to, I had to respond to the call to action about Miracle on Ice 44 years ago. Incredible stuff. You guys and how about? It?
3: And how about, uh, you're a play-by-play guy. Joe and I were talking. How about Al Michaels, buddy? Al Michaels. How about
2: Al Michaels. Al Michaels had never done hockey before that tournament? Al Michaels had oh. never done hockey until ABC said, do you think you can do hockey? Holy <laughs> cow. Incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. incredible. That's great. Incredible to go back and relive all of that. And by the way, the biggest misconception is that didn't win the gold medal. They had to still go that's ahead right. and beat Finland on Sunday to win the gold medal, which they did. Just an incredible, incredible time.
0: Man, all time like, really needed to pull that one out because the story is a lot better given that they won the gold medal. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. And by the way, they were losing the gold medal game 2-1. Yes. to one. In this, in this Sunday gold medal game and came from behind to win that. Just, so uh, and That's why they've made multiple movies. The Kurt Russell yeah. movie, who, by the way, is dead on as Herb Brooks in that movie. The miracle movie, but they made two or three of them. Yeah. They made two or three movies. That's why there's documentaries. It's that incredible. Thank you for letting me share that. I'll let you boys get on with what you're doing with more memories about the Miracle on Ice.
3: Thanks, TJ. I always appreciate you, buddy. We'll catch up. See you, boys. Joe, it... Yeah. yeah thank you, Joe, it... I mean, honestly, if that happens now, you're pulling
0: out your phone, or you're running to
3: a TV in the arena, right? I mean, that's what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm turning. Now. I mean, I'm I'm watching it probably from the get go. But if I wasn't, yeah, I would have I would have been putting it on right. immediately after the not only the game after like good thing they they clinched the gold medal against Finland, but I only found out about this a couple of years ago that there was like a weird format then that it wasn't like a semi-final to a gold medal game. It was like whoever had the most points at the end of the final round was the team that actually won. So, correct. I I think this is right. But there was an outcome going into that third game, the Soviet-US game was second, where the Soviets still could have won the gold medal after losing to the US. And especially that... Good thing they finished the job, because if the story was the U.S. upset the Soviet Union, but the Soviet Union ended up winning the gold medal anyway, then the whole story would have been so much worse, I think.
3: I have never heard this, that they could still win the gold. I knew the yeah. U.S. still had to win one more game. I didn't hear the other part of it, which is yeah, interesting. Yeah, it was the so um, final round.
0: Yeah. Uh, the top two teams from each group play played in uh, played the top two teams from the other group once. Points from previous games against their own group carried over which excluded teams who failed to make the medal round. First place with points wow. at the end of the final round won the gold. The U.S. had five points after three games. They went 2-0-1. The Soviet Union went 2-1. and 1. So, yeah, going into that Finland game, it would have been the U.S. had three points, and the Soviet Union had uh, would have had also three points. No, they would have had one point. So, hold on, I just did that wrong. They, sorry, they would have had two points. Going into the final game, U.S. would have had three Soviet Union would have had two. So if the U.S. lost to Finland, actually, then the Soviet Union would have won the gold medal.
3: Now, we have Paul Hamilton standing by, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see. Paul, I know Paul's probably listening. I wonder if we, we move you, Paul, to 1130. We have Josh Reed, 1105, because Paul has a really interesting story about 1980 himself, and I want to talk about that along with the Sabres, so I want to give him more time instead of just doing it in the next, like, five minutes after we come from break. So love these stories today, and I know we got some people lining up they want to share theirs as well. 803 is... The number to call. We'll do that. All right. Paul's going to join us at 11:30. We'll get his uh, his a personal connection to the 1980 Miracle on Ice team, and of course, the Sabres had a nice win last night up in Montreal. We got Josh Reed 11:05, and we'll take your phone calls on the brawl and Miracle on Ice and whatever else is on your mind on WGR. Sal Capaccio, Sneaky Joe DiBiase. Extra Point Show on this February 22nd. A lot of anniversaries. The one we haven't touched on yet. You guys did a little bit this morning. This was also the date that Terry Pagula had his um, press conference, his introductory press conference when he bought the Buffalo Sabres. Is that correct, Joe?
0: Yep. Yep. 13 years ago. Nope. Wait. Yeah. 13 years ago today. 13 years ago.
3: Very emotional press conference at that time, obviously. Um, And things haven't worked out quite, you know, as Terry Pagula or the fans of the Buffalo Sabres had hoped. But uh, that was the anniversary. Today was the anniversary for that. Today's the anniversary of Miracle on Ice 44 years ago, 1980. It's also the anniversary of the Sabres-Senators brawl from 2007. Taking your memories on all of that at eight oh three oh five fifty. Josh Reed's going to join us at 11.05 a.m. Um, back to the Miracle on Ice a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone tweeted, and it was live, like on ch- Channel 5, huh? CBC Channel 5. Well... Yeah, I don't think it was live here in the United States, though, right? I mean, say, say, uh, MAF43 on Twitter says, Sal, the 80 Olympic game was live in this area. Okay, if you had cable or an antenna, it was being shown live on CBC Channel 5. All right. Hmm. I, could, I could probably get with that. I mean, but it wasn't live on American television, though.
0: Right, but it would have been for some people, just depending on where you live. He's saying
3: if you got CBC, which is a Canadian station CBC. here in Buffalo.
0: So here you might have. Right here,
3: live. you might have, but it wasn't shown. It what? Right, it wasn't shown live. Yeah, uh, on TV here in the United States. So people knew. Some people knew what happened. Some people they did watch it on tape delay and didn't find out until after it happened. You know what the situation was. So I think some people actually caught wind. And then of course you got a story like TJ, where maybe you're in an arena, or you're somewhere else, and you know people say what happened. So a lot of good memories on that. If you want to share them, go right ahead. We're gonna talk with Josh Reed about the Bills and the Combine. That's coming up next week and. Just want to set it up for everybody. We will hear from Sean McDermott next Monday late afternoon from Indianapolis uh, around four in the four o'clock hour. I believe that's when he will talk to media. And then Brandon Bean will be on Wednesday, I think late morning, early afternoon. I got to check the time on that, but we will hear from both of them. Interesting thing happened yesterday, Joe. You know, sometimes you, you tweet something out, you put something out there and you, you don't really intend for it to be a big deal and it becomes a really big deal. That kind of happened to me yesterday. And it still is something I'm going back and forth with some people. Here's what I tweeted. I wrote, I can tell you 100% Gabe Davis would love to stay in Buffalo. And there's no doubt the Bills would love to keep him. This feels very much a situation where there is want to on both sides, but very tough to do for each. I believe they'll still try to make it work, but it will be tough. Now, I can't tell you how many people have pushed back and said, nope, there's no way they both want to be together because they both know they can't. Those are two completely separate things, and I actually address that. But people, there are people in my mentions, and maybe you feel the same, that the Bills actually don't want Dave, Gabe Davis back because Brandon Bean kind of knows he'll – so he doesn't want him back. And Gabe Davis doesn't want to come back to Buffalo. I'm going to stick to my guns and say what I know because I know the situation. They would both love to have a reunion. They both also know it probably can't happen.
0: Well, wants, wants him back. To be what though? To be in the same role the he's, team. he's been playing the sure. last two years? Sure. Because to yeah. me, if I if this is if I'm Brandon Bean, like if I sign Gabe Davis, this is to me where the big I think this is a bigger hold up than the money. It would be it, you know, if if there is a plan to get better at that position, and Bean said in his post game his postseason uh press conference that he thought, you know, big reason the digs production went down is the defenses were able to focus in on him more, and he'd like to improve that area. And a lot of that is with Gabe Davis on the field. I I would think that the biggest hiccup between Davis coming back is the Bills asking him, are you okay with going to the bench? Because if we draft hmm. a guy in the first or the second round, and he's great, you know, it's about a 70% hit rate in the first round the last couple of years. But let's say it's 50-50. There's a 50/50 shot this guy we pick is going to be really good. And if that happens, you're not a full-time starter anymore. Are you okay with that? Cuz if if that's the deal and Gabe Davis is okay with go- essentially going back to being a number 4 receiver like he was in his first 2 years, then I'm cool with it. That's to me though where I get very hung up on him coming back is are the bills okay going to him with that and are the bill is Davis Welcome, welcoming, coming back, knowing a rookie could steal your job and even in year one. It's a good thought. Some people said the same thing you did. So maybe
3: I could have phrased it differently, but I never thought of that angle from it. Um, I just know the the reverence this organization has for him mm-hmm. and what he means to them and the fact that he's been on the field more than any other receiver the last two years. I don't think he'd have much of a reduced role. I think they love him being on the field because he's such a good well, run blocker. Yeah. and can do And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. But I don't know if they would take him off the field as much as you're saying.
0: But that's what I mean. Then, if you're, but if you're doing that, if you're bringing him back to have the same role, that's all the snaps. There's, there's no more room for another receiver, at least, and not like one playing. Unless a you take digs off the field, like he had
3: been a little bit late in the year,
0: right? And at that point, I don't know. Like th- at that point, I'm basically I'm I'm taking my number one receiver's workload down. Like I'm basically starting to wind down on the digs usage and. I, I don't know how does that sound to people mm-hmm. right now. That would be basically Davis's back as your number two receiver, uh, or at least your other outside receiver. And do I have room for I, I I think you are then blocking the development almost like a hockey you know terminology. I'm blocking the development of a young receiver if I've got Gabe Davis back.
3: Yeah, it's kind of similar to the conversation about if they run so much twelve personnel, you're
0: blocking having your better player on the field, which is Khalil Shakir. Right. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, no, e- exactly. I think it's very similar to that. Like, are there are there enough snaps for right. the guy to develop properly, and or even if the guy is just good right away, then what am I looking at? I, I'm, I'm that's a good problem to have, but that's to me where the conversation with Davis would have to be, and maybe with Diggs too. To get everyone in the room and say, like, it, it, that Davis more so because he's got to you know sign a contract is. If we want to draft a young receiver and the guy's really good, you know, mm-hmm. we're looking around the room, someone's getting their snaps reduced. It's a great
3: point. Let's talk with Josh Reed about it. He'll be at the Combine next week. CBS, WIVB TV here in Buffalo. He'll go with us after this timeout here on the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show.